you for downloading this podcast from Victory Outreach Manchester. We pray that this message will bless your life as you listen. From a scripture in Isaiah today, chapter 54, verse 2 and 3. You can take your seats. And I'm going to read it in two different versions. Just so that we can get a, a, a look at how things are from you know different angles and um, it's verses two and three in one version it says enlarge the place of your tent let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings do not spare lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. That's from one version, New King James Version. From the New Living Translation, it says it like this, it puts it like this. Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home and spare no expense. For you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. This scripture, I believe, is very important for where we are and where we're going as a church. And one reason why it's important is the context of this scripture. Context is very important. Context is key. Whenever you're reading scripture... Whenever you're anywhere in life, actually, context is key. I think sometimes we don't give context um, enough attention. But context is key. Context are the circumstances that form the setting for an event, a statement, or an idea, and in terms of which it can be fully understood. That's the content, the context. It gives us an understanding of what really is being said, what really is going on, what really is being thought. Context is really important. Context gives us understanding about what's taking place. But then also, check this out, context is the basis for compassion. Compassion is is really, really key. It, It stands at the pyramid of, the top of the pyramid of emotive actions. So if you imagine that, uh, you know, a pyramid and at the bottom is apathy. Apathy is where you think and feel and do nothing about a situation. How many of you have been apathetic about things in your life? You want to lose weight, but you can't be bothered. You want to do this, but you can't. You want to get fit, but you can't. You're apathetic. or, Or there's stuff you don't even care about what's taking place. That's apathy. Amen. And we get apathetic about a lot of things. But then go up a level and you hit sympathy. And sympathy is where you at least think about what's going on. When someone's sick or someone's in a problem or someone's in a situation or people in the Ukraine are starving and freezing, you at least think about it. You have sympathy. Sometimes inside it's almost like, even though you don't express it, it's like, ah, oh, poor things, right? Sympathy. But then you move up a level when you're moving through these, these things, you get to empathy. You know, empathy has been spoken about a lot. And empathy is when you kind of feel for someone. You're moved. Are you with me? 
You feel that someone, oh, ooh, oh, you, it's like, oh, I really feel that. I feel for that person. That's empathy. But then right at the top is compassion. Compassion is when you think about someone, you feel about someone, and you actually do something about it. That's compassion. Compassion is really key, and that's how Jesus operates with compassion. We see many times in Scripture where it says that Jesus was moved to compassion. He had compassion. He moved. He did something. In fact, the very fact that he was born on this earth in human form shows that he didn't just think about our situation. He didn't just feel about it while he was sitting there on the throne in heaven. He was moved to do something about it and being born like us to go through what we go through. Come on, somebody. To feel what we feel, to be attacked the way we get attacked, to be deceived or, or, or try to be deceived and tempted the way we are and yet was without sin. But he moved. Jesus moves in compassion. And even though he's not walking around on the earth physically in his form right now, his compassion is still available and active on the earth around us today. And he wants us to represent him in compassion. Amen? We are his representatives. And he wants us to move in this way. But knowing the context of something is really important. Because knowing the context of something helps you make better judgments. Stops you doing or saying something stupid or hurtful. Sometimes you see someone and you don't realise that they might have an issue behind the, re the, the, the way that they're acting. Because you don't know their context. Someone turns around to you, they get short with you, and you're straight away, you make a judgment. That's a horrible person. How rude. What's the matter with you? You can't talk to me like that. And you start getting all offended and chesty. But you might not know the context of that person. They might just have been to the hospital to visit their baby or their sick loved one. And you don't realise the pain that they're going through. And then you have done something that maybe they've responded to. And it might not in a normal situation be the way they'd respond. But the context. Because if you know the context of someone's life. It might be that maybe you'd realise that if you was in the same context, they're actually dealing with it better than you would. When someone's trying to break an addiction, when someone's trying to deal with a, a clinical condition, when someone's trying to deal with an emotion or deal with a, a relational situation or a financial situation, and they're dealing with it in the best way that they can, knowing the context can show you why it is these things happen. And then you can start to understand. How many of you have ever felt misunderstood? You felt hard done by? You felt like someone didn't treat you right? They didn't treat you in the way that you was, was deserving of? And one of the reasons why is probably because they didn't know your context. Amen? And sometimes in Scripture, you know there's lots of atheists... On TikTok, I'm told, bashing Jesus, bashing God. They're everywhere. But how many of you know, every atheist I've ever met bashes a God that I don't believe in. They bash the same God that I don't believe in either. 
Because they're always talking about God in the wrong context. They're trying to bash God as if he's a created being the same as us. That he should do things the same as us. But his context is different. He's not a created being. He's not like the gods of the nations. He's not like the pagan gods. He's not like those gods that were capricious and willful and unfaithful. He is above that. He's beyond that. His context is different. He's the creator of all things. He's not subject to the same things we're subject to. The context is different. And when we read scripture sometimes, even as Christians, if we don't get the context right, we can take things out of context. You can start to believe for something that God never promised. Well, God didn't do this for me. Well, he never promised to do that for you anyway. Well, it says this. Oh yeah, but what's the context? How do you get the context? Read the whole thing. Don't just cherry pick. Come on, somebody. How many of you have ever cherry picked a scripture and gone, oh, look at that. Well, yeah, I'll take that. And it's actually talking about something completely different. And if you read before it and after it, you realize you've just taken a scripture that's going to end in judgment. Context, very, very important. This scripture that we just read is all about God promising a broken and captive people that there was a shift coming. These people had been broken and taken into captivity by other nations, but, but God was saying, listen, oh barren woman, I mean, if you know that there's, there's nothing as, 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 as heartbreaking as a barren woman Someone who's barren, something that's barren. In Scripture it says that they, they, they can never get peace. They can never find, an, find, find their, their fulfillment. It's, it's heartbreaking. That's the, 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 the imagery that's being used. And it was like Israel were meant to be the people that God shone through. He was the one that divorced all the other nations at the Tower of Babel. Gave them over to the, the rulership of the sons of God, the angels, the principalities. And he said, I'm going to take for myself a people. There are no people. I'm going to take these people. I'm going to start again through one man, Abraham, and I'm going to make a nation for myself. He says, and I'm going to shine through them, and I'm going to show my glory through them, and they are going to be the ones that, that go out and fulfill my plan in the earth. But here they are now, broken and in captivity. Why? Because, how I many of you know, sometimes we can get distracted in our lives. Sometimes we can start off well and we can be walking in the, the path of faith. We can be walking, following the pathway that God has for our lives. But distraction can come. We can take our eyes off of the one who saves us. We can take our eyes off of the one we should be grateful to. We can take our eyes off of his purposes and all of a sudden this looks good over there or that looks better over there. Or maybe there's a shortcut. We're going through a hard time and that looks like a shortcut. And you take that, that, the way of distraction and then you end up far away from God. You end up far away from glorifying Him. You end up far away from the place of blessing. And it happens. And so God sometimes allows us to go into places and situations to deal with that part in us that has taken us away from God's will. He does that. He allows it. He chips away with time and circumstance, sometimes other things. 
You've heard me say it before about the Michelangelo method. In my book, I wrote a chapter called The Michelangelo Method about how God deals with people. Michelangelo, the sculptor, was sculpting a statue of David three stories high out of one block of marble. And the legend goes that he was up on the top of the, the, the scaffold, tapping away at Jesus' face. And one of his acolytes, one of his apprentices, shouted out, Maestro, what are you doing? He said, I'm sculpting David. He said, how do you know what bit to, to chip away? He said, I just chip away everything that doesn't look like David. But in our lives right now, God uses time and circumstances to chip away everything in our lives that doesn't look like Jesus. Sometimes you get pride that rises up. And I mean, if you know, pride goes before a fall. We can start to think that it's us that's doing it. You started off so weak, you started off so broken, God fixed you and now here you are and you're starting to do well now. And instead of giving God the glory, you start taking it for yourself. Well, look at me, I'm so educated. Listen to me, I'm such a great singer. Look at me, what a musician I am. Look at me, how powerful I am, how rich I am. Look at my house, look at my car. Look at my six pack. <laughs> and we become foolish, don't we? We turn away from God. We start to want to take the glory. We want to get the pats on the back. But how many of you know the pats on the back are addictive? We want, we want reassurance from men, don't we? We want men and, and women to pat us on the back and give us their assurance and let us know we're doing good and we're doing well. What are you, a pet? Are you a pet that you need a pat? Are you with me? Would you beg for a treat? You're like, no way, never, not me. But you do that, don't you? We do that. We all do that from time to time. We beg for treats. The world system gives us a little treat. Gives us a pay rise. Gives us a job over there. It gives us this. It tells us you can have free gym membership for three months. You can have Disney Plus free for six months. And then after that, it's going to cost you your kidney. And then we're like, man, I've got Disney and there's this thing on and it's Sunday. Let me do this on Sunday instead of going to church. Or I've got to go to the gym. I can't go to Wednesday to well. It's my gym night. And we get distracted and we go to different places. How does God get us back? First of all, he woos us. He calls us. He draws us with calls of loving kindness. But how many of you know sometimes that doesn't work? Right? How many parents we got in the house? And your little kid starts doing wrong. I mean, if you know, you don't have to teach children to do wrong. When was the last time as a parent you taught your kid to throw their food on the floor? Well, that's my parenting, you know. Here's your food. Uh, here's the choo-choo train. Woo-woo. It's coming into the tunnel. Open up. Open the tunnel. Here we go. And they go flip. When was the last time you told them, when I'm about to put the food in your mouth, pick up the bowl, throw it on the floor? That's how you grow into an adult. You don't do that. Are you with me? It just comes naturally, that stuff, because we're broken. We're, we're far from God. It, it, it's the nature of sin and the world we live in that, 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 that degrades and stuff happens. That's why we need salvation. Right? So what you do is you go, no, don't do that. And you try and draw them with, no, don't do that. Mummy doesn't want you to do that. 
Daddy doesn't want you to run away. It's okay, come back to Daddy. Daddy loves you. Right? And they do. But then they don't. Come on, somebody. And so sometimes what you've got to do is go, come here right now. If you do that, there's going to be a consequence. I know in, in modern society, it's very different. Back in the day. Parents back in the day. Come on, somebody. Woe to children from some places. If you ever went against your parents' wishes. Hello. Your grandchildren would be feeling the punishment. Huh? Amen. Do that again and your legacy is going to feel the punishment. This will be your legacy for generation to generation. We had a saying when I was, when I was young in the east end of London, when we were running the streets like crazy people. Because for those of you that don't know, I was a drug addict, heroin addict for 10 years. I was allegedly involved in serious and organized crime and disorganized crime, allegedly. It's not a fact, it's allegedly. Just wanted to let you know, so people say. And we had a saying, you learn from the cut, not the stitches. And sometimes God allows his people to get cut. That bit doesn't look like Jesus. Jesus wouldn't act like that. In fact, that bit there, I'm going to get... Let, let them do that. Chop that bit off because that bit doesn't belong in your future. It might have had a big part in your past, but that don't belong in your future. You don't want to take that bit into the beautiful place that I'm taking you. That, that, that's not going to fit. In fact, if I don't get rid of that, I can't pour in this. And so sometimes he allows us to go through things. And he allowed his children, the children of Israel, to go through some stuff sometimes because they were going astray. They kept going off track. They kept following other gods. They had other lovers. And here they were in captive, broken. But all of a sudden the prophet comes and he says, listen, oh barren woman, begin to sing. Israel's likened to a barren woman who experiences the shame of childlessness and unfulfillment and knows full well the void that it brings to her life. There comes a point when you realize that without God, without him in my life, there's nothing. It's empty. The world that I was seduced by is empty. That thing over there is just vanity. It's surface. It felt good for a season. And even though sin seems good for a season... But then all of a sudden, you're left with ashes in your mouth. It's tasteless. It's empty. There's nothing. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. And Israel's likened to this. But then the Lord promises that days of goodness and gladness and fulfillment lie ahead. And that even though right now she's barren and, and childless and has nothing, that in the, this time that's coming, her tents will need to be expanded to accommodate the children that are going to be born to her. 
That's the allegory. That's the illustration. That's the picture. What God allowed them to go through and what he allows us to go through also allows them and us to be built differently than other people. Whenever you go through what God wants to go through, once you go through, and you go through it, then something shifts and changes in your life. Something begins to look different. You're different. You feel different. You know you're different. You look different, sound different, act different than the people that are out there that don't know God. You're different than you were. How many of you, since you got born again, you've been acting different than you did before you were saved? You've been thinking different than you did before you were saved? You've been speaking different than you did before you were saved? Let me see your hands. You're built different. And that's what context shows us. This was also the scripture, check this out. That was used by a, a modern-day prophet by the name of Dick Milks in America many, many years ago at a meeting when Pastor Sonny Argonzoni, who's the founder of Victory Outreach International, was there. He'd been building a church, an ex-drug addict from New York, saved under the ministry of David Wilkerson and Nicky Cruz, the evangelist, wrote The Cross and the Switchblade and Run Baby Run and Times Square Church and all of that stuff. And this young Puerto Rican drug addict was saved and he was set free and he, he ended up going down to Bible college in Los Angeles from New York and, and God started to show him that he wanted him to plant a church for people that had come from backgrounds like his to create an opportunity for, for people in their families in inner cities to know the transforming power of the living God. And so he, he, he went out there, Puerto Rican from New York, in the barrios, the, the ghettos of East Los Angeles, amongst all of the, 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 the Hispanic gangsters, the cholos, the, 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 the esses, the gangbangers with big moustaches and tattoos. And, and here he was, a Puerto Rican New Yorker with a leather jacket. And he built this church and started reaching out to people and God started to grow it. But then it hit a point when all of a sudden it stopped growing. There was no money coming in. There was no finance. You can't do much without finance. People weren't giving. People weren't buying into it. It couldn't grow. There was a limit. There was a cap. There was a lid. People had been conditioned to go so far and no further. And he was like, what do I do? I can't break through, man. I'm going to quit. And then he was at a meeting, and right at the end of the meeting, this prophet got up and he said, Sonny, I have a word for you. And he started to quote the words from this scripture in, in, in Isaiah. He said, enlarge the place of your tent. Get ready. There's a new phase in your ministry. And something new is about to take place. It's one of the, the, the scriptures that is foundational to us. That we know that, that God doesn't just want to take us so far. He wants us to know that, that there's new phases that come. There's new things that happen in our lives. That there's a time that you, 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 you get saved. There's a time that you come in. There's a time that you grow. But then you hit a peak. You hit a point. But God wants you to know that there is a new thing that's happening. There's a breakthrough. He did that. And it went from one church to 600 churches and ministries in almost 40 countries around the world. You know, he's done that in this church. When me and Vicky first came to Manchester, there was me and her in our little Ford Focus, and we came up, and there was, you know, about half a dozen people, six or seven people maybe, 
that constituted the church. There were a few more, but, you know, that used to come, but the core of the church. And then we moved into a, an old church building with a little house attached in Oddsall over there in Salford. It's all being developed now. It looks lovely there now, but back in the day, it was a howling wilderness. And we took people into our house coming off of drugs, and we had black people. And how many of you know it was a white area? We were petrol bombed. We had stolen cars driven into the side of our building and exploded. I had people pulling knives out of me, machetes and bayonets. We started to build and we started to grow. And then we hit peaks. Because how many of you know, sometimes we get conditioned. We get conditioned to go so far and no more. We get conditioned to go, you know, I'm out of my situation and I'm doing okay and that's where I've got to stay. It's like fleas in a jar. You remember the flea experiment when they put fleas in a jar and they put a lid on top of the jar and the fleas would bounce up and they would hit their heads on the lid. And then one day they took the lid off and the fleas would not jump out of the jar because they'd been conditioned that they could go this far and no further. Sometimes when you come from different backgrounds and you come from different nations, you come from different contexts, you can get conditioned that this is as far as I can go. You get conditioned by the matrix, for want of a better word, that maybe you can get a job and maybe you can get a mortgage and maybe one day when you're 65 you would have paid off your mortgage, you might be able to retire, you might have enough money to do everything you want to do now for the next 10 years that you're alive even though you're old and decrepit and your arms and, and, and legs are, are, are mangled and knackered and you're not as fit as you was and your beach body now is all saggy and baggy. That was my wife. She said, speak for yourself. <laughs> Hallelujah. I've got a lot of things to look forward to. Amen. <laughs> but then we hit some breakthrough points. We had people that rose up out of drug addiction that are now ministers, homeowners, parents, We've had people that came from prostitution that now are married with children and parents. We had people that had been abused in their past lives that now help other people to get out of those situations. We have people that come from different nations that were refugees, that were, were, have, have emigrated into this country and that now are homeowners, they're business owners. Now people are rising up. We have people that are in ministry, in Bible college. We have people that were kicked out of school and now have master's degrees and PhDs. We've seen people's lives transformed and changed. We saw it. We broke out from this church. We planted churches in Liverpool and in Birmingham and in London and in Frankfurt. We've helped out with church plants in Amsterdam. We have a church in Glasgow in Scotland. We're looking at going into Dublin in Ireland. From this church, from people that sat in these seats, they heard the calling of God and went out. We've seen this before, but then seasons change. Things happen. Things come and go. Sometimes God rearranges things. Sometimes God allows things to come in because he's preparing something. Just as Pastor Sonny saw when he got that scripture, I believe that we're in a similar position in Manchester right now. We've been here before, but we're here again. In the past season, for all of us, I think, 
we were under assault and under attack from our enemies, the enemies of God. Remember COVID? What a mad thing that was. Huh? What a mad thing. It's a real situation. You remember the first time it was announced and we were locked down? Everyone was scared. The zombies were going to come and eat our brains. People stocked up on toilet paper. You remember the toilet paper wars of 2020? It will go down in history, the toilet paper wars. There was World War I, there was World War II, there was the Vietnam War. And then there were the toilet paper wars of 2020. I saw grown women fighting each other like boxers, like, like UFC fighters, doing arm bars and neck grabs and, to get a packet of toilet paper. Madness. People on masks. People on the, the mask. Oh, you're not wearing a mask. Ah! Holy water. <laughs> I've been in places, people got out, spray and sprayed it on people. It was mad. It was surreal. Every day the death toll. Oh, there's a thousand people died today. Oh, there's two thousand people died today. You remember it? Can't go near anyone. Don't go near anyone. Everyone's like, whoa. <laughs> I remember going to, 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 to Sainsbury's once and lining up. You remember that? You used to have to line up outside. A big long line. And it was like barren. There's no cars. There's just these brave people in a big long line outside Sainsbury's with their trolleys, making sure that there's enough distance between them and a contaminate, possibly contaminated person in front of them. And I went into Sainsbury's and I looked over and there was a woman getting stuff from a shelf and she had a Star Wars helmet on. Like a stormtrooper. That was it. I was like, I'm done with this, man. I'm done with that. You know what I mean? Something's got to shift now. Are you with me? Like, <laughs> I was like, let the force be with you, sister. But it was hard. It was tough. People lost their jobs. People were furloughed. Then they lost their jobs. People didn't know what was happening. Some people lost their family members. Some people lost their health. You know, there was different things that took place. It was an attacking season. Then trying to come out of it, we had all sorts of madness coming out of it. We had three prime ministers in a couple of months in this, nation, in this country. I remember someone putting a meme up in, in, in like October or November. Um, only three more prime ministers till Christmas. <laughs> it was crazy. Then you think you get through all that, right? And you're starting to think, man, we can start to get back to a little bit of normal. And then Putin invades Ukraine. Then there's war, there's madness. Then gas prices go up and fuel prices go up. And, and the fear, is fear that's been unleashed against people. How many of you have felt anxious or fearful over the last couple of years, at least once in your life, about something? Come on, let me see your hands. Let everyone see your hands. It's good. It's healthy to let people know. There was an attack that was unleashed against this world by the enemy. A lot of people didn't make it. A lot of Christians didn't make it. Some Christians have just, they've disappeared. I was wondering if they were better than me, they were holier than me, and the rapture had happened and they'd gone. Because people didn't come back to church. People didn't... They didn't answer your text. They didn't comment on anything. They just <laughs> turned into ghosts. Ghosted everyone. Some people realized, I think, that 
They didn't have to go to church for their life to just be normal and ordinary. That maybe that they weren't going to just get hit by lightning or attacked by vampires. And maybe, you know, they didn't really need to go to church anymore. Which means and shows that their foundation was built on shallowness. Very shallow. But it was warfare, it was madness. God allowed it. The ones that did make it were the ones that kept building in the face of the attack. Some people were buried, but others continued to build. But watch this. It didn't really look like we were building much. I remember in our church, we had one-way systems, right? We had chairs set apart. We had temperature checks when you walk through the door. You walk through the door, it's like, boom! Everyone's looking at it. We, had the, we, we, we got these big spray machines that would go around after the services. <laughs> Spraying disinfectant everywhere. We'd done the whole thing, man. Masks and all that. Right? It was mad. But we were building. We were building our online congregation. We were building our equipment. We were building the strength of our communities. We had marriage stuff. We had teachings online. We did this, we did that, we did the other thing. We tried to do what we could to stay consistent and stay faithful. And we were building. But what we were building was bunkers. The Lord showed me this. Because I was praying, I'm saying, Lord, what do you want to do this year? He said, I want you to build differently. See, in the past season, people were building bunkers. Bunkers are used for survival. When you ever see stuff on the Ukraine war, and you don't see a lot of it now because the media's whack, right? How many of you know the media is whack? The media used to give us information and we could make, our, you know, make an opinion on it, form an opinion on it. Now it gives us their opinion and we have to work out whether they're giving us the right information. Flipped, right? But whenever you see the Ukraine war, you see all these devastated buildings, you see destruction, and you see these people that are in there, still living in there, or soldiers that are in there, that are in bunkers for survival. Because that's what bunkers are for. Bunkers are used for survival, and survival is good. Amen? How many of you know survival's good? If you think that survival's bad, Consider the alternative, right? If you've survived this last season, then you should sing hallelujah. hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You should look in the mirror and say, you've done good. You survived. A bunker is a reinforced underground shelter typically for use in wartime. It's a shelter dug into the ground, made strong against attack. A bunker is a defensive Military fortification designed to protect people and valued materials from falling bombs, artillery, or other attacks. Bunkers are almost always underground. Bunkers are defensive. They're underground. And much of what churches built that were building was underground. It was defensive. It was to maintain. It was to keep. Much of what we did as Christians was to maintain, to keep ourselves defended, to keep ourselves from getting taken out, to hide. 
But how many of you know you can't stay on the defensive forever? This is what the Lord showed me. He showed me that now the season has changed. He says the context that you're in has changed. There is a context for survival. There was a context for trusting God in the midst of madness. Because you know why we, God allowed us to go through madness as his church? Because in the West at least we have it too easy. I've got Iranian friends. I've got Indian friends. I'm talking to my friend in India about planting a church. He's been beaten several times for being a Christian in India. Check it out. Over in the West, we get, we get offended if it's too hot or it's too cold in the building. We get offended if the pastor's sermon goes on too long or if he hits a part of us and a bit falls off in the church you're like oh I listened to that pastor and part of me fell off part of my psyche is gone some of my soul has been changed I'm not going back there it's too loud the music's too long they worship too much I mean, if you know, people are always too spiritual. You're too spiritual. You worship too much. You preach too, too loud. You shout too much. You do this. But no one ever tells you you work too much. You train too much. You, you watch telly too much. That's okay. As soon as you start getting spiritual, it's like you're too spiritual. God allowed us to go through a place where we had to hang on to him, but the season's changed. The context has changed. Things have shifted. God wants something different now. God wants something new now. God wants us now to understand the reality is different. The opportunity now is to grow and rebuild, and it's different. And we should do everything we can to take advantage of it because our context has changed. This is the message I received from God. He said... Stop building bunkers for survival and start building barns for revival. Stop building bunkers for survival and start building barns for revival. A barn is a building for storing the harvest. Harvest time is when you receive the things that are going to supply your strength for the next phase in your life. It's about abundance. I mean, you know, it's time to build differently now. This is what I want you to grab. If you don't take anything away from this, grab this. That if you're a Christian right now in this society, in this season, that God wants you to start to look forward to his abundance coming back into your life. This is counterintuitive. This is countercultural. There are people saying there's doom. There's doom. Don't, don't do this. Just bunker down still. It's still going to get hard. There's going to be recession. It's going to be difficult. But I want to let you know that's not what God is saying to his church. God is saying the fields are white and ready for harvest. People out there need hope. They need truth. They need love. They need care. They need purpose. They need meaning. They need Jesus. And he wants his people to step up and start to build different. Build for revival. It's time to build differently. First, you have to deal with a bunker mentality. 
There's a real danger of becoming stuck in the place of survival, just being part of the status quo. The status quo is that state of affairs that exists at a particular time, especially in contrast to different possible states of affair. In other words, it's what everyone's doing. It's where the crowd is going. It's where they're all flowing downstream. But how many of you know, as Christians, we're not to go with the crowd. We're not to be on the wide road. We're not to be with all of those people. We're to be with God. We're to go where He wants. We're to stream upstream. We're to live counterculturally. Because we're built different. We're to believe God in the face of impossible situations because nothing is impossible for God. When someone says once a junkie, we say no. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. When someone says that person's too bad to be saved, we say when was the last time you had to wash before you took a shower? God takes the dirty, He takes the broken, He takes the sinful, He takes people that were messed up, He takes people that were beat up from the feet up, messed up from the chest up, a wreck up from the neck up, busted, disgusted and couldn't be trusted. He takes you, He takes me with all of our madness and He says, come into the shower of my blessing, my blood, I'll wash you clean. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding. Some of you ain't said anything. You ain't even cracked a smile. Status quo is what everyone's doing. But I mean, you know, we're not everyone. We follow someone who's different than everyone. We follow the God that makes the impossible possible. That takes the foolish things of the world and makes them greater than the wise. Status quo is when you become used to and comfortable with the current situation, the way things are now. I'm not comfortable with the situation. I'm not comfortable with the ordinary. I'm not comfortable with everything natural. I'm not comfortable with just hiding. I'm not comfortable with withdrawing. I'm not comfortable with never risking anything for God. I am not comfortable with that. That's not how I was born. That's not how I was born again. I came from darkness into light, from death into life. I came from the fire and I'm not going to live in smoke. You know, you've got a bunker mentality when you start singing that song, even though you don't know it. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. It is what it is, is the words of the bunker mentality. It is what it is. It's bunker mentality. It doesn't have to be like that. Sure, there's a reality, it is what it is, but is that how it wants to stay? Just because it is what it is, is that how it's always going to is? I don't know about you, but I think that there's a shift coming. I think there's a change coming. I think there's opportunity and possibility to break out of the bunker. When you're in the bunker, you can end up losing the sense of determination to be different and to make a difference. There's no more drive to pursue God's best for your life. You run the danger of just blending into the background in a beige sort of way. You can be a believer, but you're a beige believer. You ain't even taupe, taupe or fawn or one of the new funky colours of the palette of today's fashion. You're just beige like an old crispy thing. Are you with me? And that suits God's enemies just fine. 
Because if you're a believer and you hold the Spirit of God and the Word of God in the name of Jesus, you're a powerful being, more powerful than you can understand. But if you're just hiding and not doing anything and just defending and just waiting for the enemy to stop and waiting for the bombs to stop falling and waiting for that, God said, there's a ceasefire. What are you going to do? But you're just there, still there going, I'm not sure yet. Is it safe to come out? I'm quite comfortable in my bunker. I feel quite safe. And the enemy is just not doing anything. He doesn't have to do anything. He's got you captive but God wants to set you free just like he set them free in the time of Isaiah he said you were a captive but now the context is changing now I'm going to release to you something new there's hope there's newness now begin to enlarge begin to build begin to renew begin to refocus as long as you're in a static bunker you pose no Danger to God's enemies. Survival's great. But the survival mentality is purely defensive. It looks like the picture of a boxer against the ropes just covering up because he's taking a pummel in. And I want to let you know if that was you and you were up against the ropes of life and you were defending yourself and you were getting hit, as long as you defended yourself, you weren't knocked out. If you haven't been knocked out, well done. There's still opportunity for you. But at some stage, at some time, you've got to go from being defensive and you've got to risk opening up your stance and looking up and seeing where your enemy is and maybe giving him a jab and maybe giving him another jab and then he backs off and then all of a sudden you come in with a hook and you come in with an uppercut and now you're on the offensive and now he's backing up and your enemy's up against the ropes and it might even be that this season is the one that you give the enemy a knockout punch. I believe God is turning the tables. I believe He's given us the room to hit back now. And all you have to do is risk opening up and getting out of your defensive posture and risking it for God and saying, I believe that you are the God of all creation. You are the one who blessed everyone. You are the one who came. You are the one that won. You won the victory. Is he not the same God that set you free, that opened your eyes, that changed your loved ones? Is he not the same God that healed your sickness, broke your addiction? Is he not the same God that provided for you in times gone past? Is he not the same God that you hear about, that he's healed the sick, he's opened the eyes of the blind, he's cast out demons, he's cleansed the lepers? What God do you serve? I know my God. And this is a time not to build bunkers, but to start building barns because there's a harvest coming. There's a harvest of souls, of loved ones, of young people, of old people, of lost people, of broken people, of confused people. And he wants to bring them into a place that has meaning and purpose, a place where you can find dignity, have belonging and destiny. But you've got to build. It's time to build. I once heard it said, I'm coming into a close in a minute. Worship team want to come back. Because I want to lay hands on some of you today. I want to pray God's power in your life. I want to pray the anointing of God to come upon you. I want you to be, have an encounter with Him. I've encountered my God. I know my Redeemer lives. I know He's, he's there. 
He's always been there. He's come in different times. When I was on the streets, when I was just a black-hearted, murderous, gang-involved, violent drug addict, seeking death and destruction, and he came into my miserable life and shared his love for me. Someone that didn't feel I deserved any love. Someone who didn't feel he deserved any forgiveness. But he came into my life, and he loved me, and he forgave me, and he embraced me 28 years ago. And he has always done the same thing. When he set me free, when he healed my wife of cancer, when he saved my children, when he caused Lily to live when they said she was dead. I've seen it. I've seen him in your lives, many of you, when your lives were broken. I've seen him in Pastor Kevin's life as just a little young drug addict in Scotland. Now he's a minister. Now he's serving God. He's coach of his, his son's football team. He's been a governor of his children's school. God is using his life. I've seen different people come in. I've seen Bridget come in. I've seen Sue come in. Teresa come in. I've seen these men and women. I saw my wife come in. He's the same God. It's time to build. But watch this, last thing. I once heard it said, and I kind of believe it, that God won't give you just what you pray for. Because some of you pray some stupid prayers. Some of you pray dangerous prayers. Right? I heard it said that God won't just give you what you pray for. He'll give you what you're prepared for. There might be a harvest in the field, but if it stays in the field, it's just going to die and rot. It takes workers to put some effort into going out and collecting it to bring it in. But if it don't go into a place where it can stay and it can be stored and it can be taken care of, then it's just going to be rotting again. So you can have a massive harvest and a little barn like a garden shed. That's cool. You get a garden shed blessing. But what about if you've got a big barn? Then all of a sudden you have more for people to feed on. And then, not only do you eat all your seed, you also store some to sow again in the next season. It gives you a legacy. It gives you a future. It gives your children something to come into. It gives your children's children something to come into. Because you enlarge the place of your tent. You give them room. God has been preparing us through hard times. That we would know that our God supplies our needs even when we don't have any power to do it ourselves. Even when you felt that you couldn't go on, you couldn't pay the bills, you couldn't make the rent, you couldn't eat, you couldn't do this. And even though you gave to God, you sowed and you reaped, God came in and he blessed your life. You're still here, you're still living, you're still breathing, you're still eating, you're still under a roof, you're still able to come to church, you're still able to dress. God has blessed your life. And if he hasn't yet, maybe you need to sow something into him so that you can reap something back. Maybe you need to sow some seed so you can reap some, some, some harvest but those who have sown in tears in the last season this season you're going to reap in joy you're going to reap in joy so we have to think about what we want our future to look like from this day on you want it just to be the status quo you want it just to be like everyone else you want to be beige and invisible and irrelevant 
Or do you want to say, you know what, I've been born for a reason, I'm born again for an even bigger reason, I want to know what that reason is, I want to make a mark, I want to make a difference, I want my life to count. As a church, I want us to get ready, I want us to be ready, I want us to be prepared for something big that God wants to do. I want us to be where God wants us to be and do what He wants us to do. I want us to believe for something big beginning this year. I want us to believe that we're going to spread out, that we're going to just have people coming in from everywhere whose lives are going to be changed. They're not just coming in to hear a little Bible study. They're not coming in to tick a little religious box. They're coming in because this is a well that draws living water, that this place is a place where they can come into contact with other people that have been through some stuff, that have been through some hardship, and have seen God move in their lives that they know their Redeemer lives they know that God's Word is, is alive is living they know that God's Spirit is powerful and available they know that Jesus can save everyone they know there's a place the people that get excited about this stuff are built differently and God looks for them and he fills them with his strength. You know why? Because they're going to need it. Oh God, I need your strength in this season. That's the cry of our hearts. Because we believe in you for more, for greater, for bigger. I want us as a congregation to make an impact in this city. But even beyond that, in this nation, even beyond that, in this generation. I want us to write up things in books in years to come. That there was a move of God in the city of Salford in Manchester. That there were a people that were no people. A people that looked down on themselves, that came from broken backgrounds, that no one thought that could ever do anything great. That God moved upon them and all of a sudden lives were changed. Communities were transformed. Families that were broken were reconciled. Lives that had no future. All of a sudden not only had future, but they had meaning. They had purpose. They made a difference to other people's futures. That's what I want. That's what I live for. That's what we serve for, what we sacrifice for, what we invest in. That's what we stand for. And we're going to need God's Spirit. Because we're, we're seeking supernatural. That's above the natural. We live in a materialistic world, right? A world where everyone's concerned with matter. What it feels like, what it looks like, what you think it is. It's matter. But I serve a God who shows us what matters. What matters is that we live in a way that gives Jesus a reward for his sacrifice. Make your life count. Build a barn. Put some work in. Get ready. Building barns is just a picture for getting active. 
getting things in place. Making the choice to become part of the adventure that God wants to take us on this year and beyond. It's about getting your heart in place, getting your mind in place, being in the right place, staying in place so that God can make your place his place, the holy place. It's going to take faith and commitment. But when you're built differently, you'll build differently. And the result is going to be something that you will never, ever forget. Come and stand to your feet in this place. I want us to do something right now. I want us to respond. If God's spoken to you today, man, if, if, if God used me at all as a vessel, I'm just like a microphone. I'm just a vessel. If he has spoken and you've heard his voice and it's touched you in any way, I want you to come and build an altar of decision. Now watch this. An altar in the Bible was a place that when people had had an encounter with God, when they'd heard his voice, received his instruction, they would build an altar and they would make a sacrifice because it would mark that. And sometimes now we don't use the, 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 the blood of bulls and goats because we have the blood of Jesus Christ that has gone before us. He's made the ultimate sacrifice. By one sacrifice, he has forever completed, made perfect that those that are being made holy. Positionally, we don't need to make sacrifices, but people still do make sacrifices of praise. They make decisions. They make commitments. And they make altars of remembrance and recognition. But if your sacrifice that you place on the altar of decision doesn't alter you, Maybe it was just a good intention. So not all of you are going to come and do this. Some of you are uncomfortable with coming to Waters anyway. Some of you, it's your first time in this church and you don't trust me yet. And I understand. There's nothing wrong with anyone not coming, unless there is. But for those of you, I just want you to say, you know what, God, I heard your voice today. I want to mark it that this is the time that I build different. And you might come, you might say a prayer to God, God, here I am, this is the time I build different. This, from this time, empower me to build barns, to prepare myself for what you've prepared for me. Here I am. And then we're going to pray for you, and you might go back, you might not want prayer, but you can come to this altar and stay. We're going to worship for a little bit, and... But let's make this choice. Let's make this decision, guys. That this year we're going to build different. Our men's ministry is going to be different, built different this year. Our women's ministry is built different this year. Our gang ministry, our youth ministry is built different this year. Our kids' ministry is built different this year. Our worship is built different this year. Our prayer is built different this year. Our giving is going to be different this year. Our production and media is going to be different this year. Our greeters and ushers and connection teams are going to be different this year. Our hospitality and cafe is going to be different this year. Our lives are going to be different this year. My prayer life is going to be different this year. My reading is going to be different. My study is going to be different. 
My outreach is going to be different. I'm going to love different. I'm going to live different. I'm going to believe different. Hallelujah. If you're not a believer in this place or watching online, today's the day of salvation. Salvation takes all your wrongs. You give Jesus all your wrongs. And in return, he gives you all his rights. To be a child of God, to be forgiven, to have your name written in heaven forever. To be washed clean, starting anew and afresh. It takes allegiance, not just a mental assent. It's not just believing that Jesus is who he says he is. The Bible says even the demons believe. Even they believe that. There's a lot of people who've got demonic level faith. Demonic level belief. But Jesus demands allegiance. He says, come and follow me. That's when you become saved. That's when you become a new creation. But to receive that, you've got to release something. You've got to give up something to get everything. Today's the day, he says, if you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, Adonai, and you believe in your heart, that God rose him from the dead, then you can be saved. Let's pray that first. Speak it out loud. If you prayed it before, it's cool, man. You're not getting born again again. But it's just a, a confession of faith. In Christ Jesus. Speak it out loud. Say, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And there is no other. I believe He died for my sin. And that He rose from the grave. Never to die again. So that I can be born again. And become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Would you heal me? Would you set me free? And would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? And give me new life. So that I can live for you. And I can serve you. In this life and the life to come. Jesus Christ is my Lord. Now we're going to worship a minute. I just want you to take a moment as we worship. And I want you to make your altar before God about how you're going to build different. Make a decision. Some of you have been... Should I go to church? Should I start going to church? Should I get involved in this ministry? Should I start doing that? Should I not? You're still in a bunker, man. You've been peaking, but it's time to get out of the bunker. Make a commitment to something. Get out of the beige. And let your life take on some color. 
That's between you and Him. So as we worship, just focus on the Lord right now. As for me and my house, we have decided to follow Him, press into Him, give everything to Him, build different. We're going to see this church build again and grow again. We've been big and we sent out six churches. Now we're growing again. We're growing again. We're growing again. We're growing again. We're going to send out another church. Might be another church. Might be you. Might be one of you that goes on the team. It might be you that becomes the pastor. Who knows? Come on, let's worship the Lord a little bit. Victory Outreach Manchester is a family in the city and we are here for you. Visit us every Sunday in person at the church building or live on Facebook and YouTube at 10am. Go to our website vomanchester.org.uk for more information.